Hola, pod peeps across the digital domain. It's the Deacon's Pod, where spirituality and justice meet real American life in the 21st century. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate Deacons, Deacon Tom and Deacon Drew. It is good to be with you guys again. Uh, I missed you, you know, since we only speak every three or four days. But uh, <laughs> So what's happened lately? Tom, I understand there may be something new going on in your ministry. What's going on? This is true. I, um, I just transferred from one parish down here uh, to another about uh, seven miles uh, away. And uh, it was a great experience, but I, um, I, uh, I did have rather a, uh, an interesting entry here as I was uh, <laughs> scheduled to preach for uh, the uh, 11 o'clock mass. And it happened to coincide here. It was the first Sunday of Lent. Coincided with our parish mission, which had brought in some musicians to do the uh, music for mass. So our regular organist was not there. So Father said, hey, Deke, can you... Uh, do the announcements. I said, oh, sure, Father. So he gives me the announcements before Mass, and I take them, and I put them up on the ambo. I come back, and uh, it's a busy place. People are coming in, and I'm a new face, so everybody's coming up to me and welcoming me and doing, you know, that nice uh, gesture as the, the, new, uh, the new deacon. And um, all of a sudden, I hear in the background, well, oh, hey, who's doing the announcements? And I said, oh, gosh, well, that, that would be me. And I go up there because it's already 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock now, uh, since I was asleep saying hello to people. And um, I turned around. I had placed the uh, announcements up there, but I get up there, and all of a sudden I can't, I can't find them. So I just speak to the congregation. I said, well, I, just like being at home, I misplaced <laughs> something. So I go back to the uh, sacristy, and I look, and they're not there. So I make the return trip to the uh, AMBO, which... Uh, time I have to confess, I said, well, I've completely lost the announcements, so I'm going to have to do it from memory, <laughs> which is a bad thing, at, uh, even at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so I, uh, I spiel off what I remembered, and then I asked for congregation participation. Like, is there anybody out there who's doing something that I have not mentioned? <laughs> I get a couple things, like CCW is doing something for... Uh, uh, trafficked uh, women and children, uh, that's great. And there's uh, the Knights of Columbus are doing the fish fries. Okay, that's good. So you're doing a call and response. You're, you're saying, it, yeah. you, what have you got? Oh, I'm in, the, I'm in this yeah. group, and they're yelling it out for the congregation before Correct. mass? Correct. They thought it was in a, yeah, very, uh, very. Yeah, it was uh, probably a lot more effective than the normal reading of the well, announcements. Well, this is true. <laughs> Everybody well, we else is uh, Way to make to go home. <laughs> Way to make a first impression, Tom. Well, that's what I'm thinking good here. Good I've given up all my pride at this point. Because... That's right. You got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm interested in the dead air that must have occurred when you left the Ambo to go back to the sacristy. Did the priest walk off the altar as well? Oh, he wasn't what even happened? there yet. This is before mass. So, but no, the the there was no dead air. You can hear the little murmuring going on in the, in the <laughs> murmuring like, oh, wherever got... he goes that's kind of casey's trademark here you know <laughs> we we got the idiot we drew the short straw right well well you know this is a uh this is a real lesson for anyone basically who, who might be listening who may be thinking that they want to be a deacon in our church because i remember uh, when i was in formation 
the one thing they kept telling us every other week was you need to be flexible when you're up on that altar. Anything <laughs> can happen. And uh, Well, this was self-inflicted. As and, uh, I'm, I'm very capable of doing. Uh, are you sure often. it's self-inflicted or are you just assuming that? I mean, did someone move it or did you? Well, no. So there's uh, finally at the end as I'm getting ready. Now, the musicians were, it was a family group. And they're only about three feet over from the altar. And one of the young ladies reaches over and lifts up the prayers of the faithful that had been put on top of the announcements. <laughs> After it was all done, I just looked over and said, well, thank you very much. Now I will read the announcements. So, and, um, but you know what was interesting? So I went back to the uh, uh, sacristy. We picked up the book of the Gospels and then proceeded to begin Mass in a serious tone. And, uh, but after mass, I was amazed more than a few people came up to me and they just shook my hand, introduced themselves. One man said, that was the best stand-up comedy routine I've seen in church in my entire <laughs> life. And I said, well, thank you. It was not planned for one. And, uh, but they other people anything came... yet. I can tell them that right now. Maybe I should stop over there at Joan of Arc and say, Hey, uh, oh, you like that? Wait, wait, wait. give it a while. Wait, there's more. <laughs> so, uh, but other people come up and they, they talked about not being pretentious and not being a perfect and just being, you know, making that personal connection with me about welcome to the real world. You're, you, you know what it's like. You don't, you're not faking this. Uh, and, and one person even said, it's nice to have some genuine uh, people around here. Not that the others are, are not. Um, one of the reasons I, I uh, embrace this parish is because it's a, about a third of the size of my former parish. And it's a lot more uh, genuine in the way people respond to the liturgies, uh, the pastor, the other deacons. And... Um, I, I felt very much at home, which is why when I started this buffoon act, um, I didn't choke up like I would um, so you if just that happened anywhere you else. You didn't make a big deal. You just kind of flowed yeah. with the situation and people appreciated that you were not an empty suit and flustered yeah. and, Correct. you know, in your humility, of course. I, I can see it shining <laughs> across from me as it is. And knowing you for too many years to, to mention I know that you have a lot to be humble about, so that's a, that's a <laughs> well, good thing. Well, I, I mean, I'd say humility is the hallmark of uh, being a deacon. I'm actually very proud of my own humility. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, uh, well, I, you know, should be, yeah. Today we are going to speak with Paul's father, Stuart Wilson Smith. I first met Father Stu a few years ago at St. Paul the Apostle, the mother church in New York City. He's been a priest for a few years. I saw him again the following year as he gave the homily for an ordination mass for one of his colleagues. We have joked together, prayed together, commiserated together through the pandemic. And I have watched him sing and play with the Paulist and on his own and in his own recordings. He's a dynamic priest and he's a great all around guy. Welcome, Father Stu. It's nice to talk to you. Nice to, to uh, meet you, digitally at least. Great to be yeah. here. My first question that comes to mind is, how did a nice Canadian boy get hooked up with an American group like the Paulist Fathers? Sure enough. It's a fair enough question. I think especially this day and age, when we don't presently have a Paulist Foundation in Canada, we did once upon a time. 
And so that's really where, where I got linked up was in Toronto. But even before that, I, I had heard about the polis in a couple of places. One, I, I was in spiritual direction for a while and was thinking about whether I wanted to be uh, a priest in a diocesan setting, like in, the, in this case, the Archdiocese of Toronto, or a religious order. And I'd had a, a one priest who was familiar with the polis who worked at St. Peter's in Toronto, as well as the Catholic Information Center, and who appreciated their style and their charisms and the things they were about. And I think eventually I just started to make these connections and I was looking for religious communities online and I found the polis again and I was like, you know, this, this really does look like it fit. Makes a lot of sense. And so, uh, I reached out to the polis vocation director at the time, you know, a guy who can kind of help you figure out if this is a good fit or not. What about the polis was a good fit for you? Yeah. So for me, there was a lot of things, you know, there's the sort of higher level stuff that we call the charism. So those are the things that we believe the Holy Spirit has gifted the polis with that is a particular, you know, a gift in turn to the church and to the world. Uh, evangelization, reconciliation, ecumenism, and interfaith relation. And for me, the ecumenism was appealing because I come from a background already where my, my mother, uh, God rest her, my mom was Catholic and my father is uh, Anglican. And I kind of grew up with an exposure to both traditions and I felt very comfortable in the Anglican church. And I felt very interested in uh, trying to see how these things could be united together and why must there be a kind of a difference or an issue in keeping them apart. Father Stu, I'm interested that you were at the Newman Center there at Ohio State University. And you know, part of our reason for doing this is trying to reach young people. Did you have a lot of... Uh, uh, students looking who are who are trying to figure out life at that age? Oh, certainly. I, I mean, there's always seekers just about everywhere that you go. I think I was maybe more surprised that there were so many who were already very, very, very committed and were, if anything, looking to go deeper into their faith. But the thing is, like, as a Paulist, and this is part of what attracted me to the community, our eyes are always sort of beyond the pews, if you will. You know, we're, we're, I like Catholics, obviously, uh, you know, it's part of my job, but you know, my heart is, is for people who, uh, aren't around and, and trying to see if there's ways that I could introduce them to, uh, our faith and most especially our Lord and, and, and experience the sense of joy and fulfillment that comes with that. I just think it was sort of a situation where I had to look for people who weren't fitting into those groups and, you know, that that met regularly or aren't in the Bible study or, and the, the fact is I found there were a, a lot of them, you know, I, I mean, in, in some ways that might be even a large part of the people who come to mass, who came to mass regularly or some of semi-regularly at the Newman center, just kind of come and go and live their lives and God bless them. I love, yeah. you know, pick those. up what they need on the way, uh, get that nourishment. Yeah. That's part of our deacon charism too, is like, who's not at the table. Who's not yeah. there? Who's not being served uh, or right. overlooked? And that seems to be a bigger and bigger group of people today. You're now in a parish ministry, correct? Uh, yeah. So I've been at uh, Old St. Mary's Church here in Chicago. I'm just almost at three years here. I've really loved it. I'm on a temporary hiatus right now because, as we've noted, I not that this is a fault of mine, but I am Canadian. And uh, I've been in this country 10 years, 
but every time I have to keep renewing a temporary, you know, status. So right now I'm in process for a, a permanent uh, resident uh, status, green card, and we're just waiting for that to come through. Did Did you find a big difference between campus ministry and parish ministry, or or not? Yeah, there can be. I'd say at the Newman Center was quite extraordinary because it felt like a parish home, and it had, and I'd say was enriched significantly by the presence of what we called our resident community, where people like faculty, staff, and alumni of the Ohio State University, uh, as well as those who were just attracted to the Paulus Charism, who came to join us for Mass on the weekends and who were very active in our justice ministries. But parish ministry has been different insofar as there's just a lot more ministering from across the full spectrum of people's lives. You know, I was in campus ministry, I was, of course, mostly dealing uh, and working alongside like 18 to 22, 23 year olds. And I did find that some of the questions and concerns could be very different from what I'm up to here, which is everything from the kids in our school, which is pre-K through eighth grade. And one of my favorite ministries at Old St. Mary's really is just having the chance to visit with people. I think especially visiting the elderly and uh, the sick and people who uh, aren't able to leave their homes for one reason or another. Having the chance to do that in a parish, that's like one thing I just love about a parish is the feeling of uh, being close to and alongside such a uh, wide spectrum of people. Mo. So tell us about the book. That's yeah, that was yeah, interesting. Really. That's yeah. what I was going <laughs> piqued our interest now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping to write from perspective as both a sufferer of mental illness, but also someone who I find has I'm like a solace and a comfort in my faith that I hope I can try to communicate in some way that is not just, again, not to denigrate Catholicism, because that's not, well, that's obviously contra the point, but that's not just piety. You know, that's not just saying, if you feel depressed, have you thought about five Hail Marys? Because I think sometimes we approach mental illness like sin. I'm much more interested in trying to give people a message of solidarity of how Christ and the church are with you, no matter where you are, whether you're quote unquote, like in a kind of recovery phase where you're getting help or you're still really lost and unsure of what to do. And, and also a message of that I think is kind of countercultural that also if you're not able to function and if you can't produce what you feel like, because comparison's a big problem with people that I encounter and, you know, with, with this kind of issue, it's like, what if I can't, why can't I work like this person? Why can't I get up in the morning and get out of bed and do these things? And just to try to convey a message that Christ too is with you too, and that your, your dignity is forever and is not affected by, by how well you produce and you function. You're always good. You're always beloved. I, I think that's a very exciting thing. I'm not really an expert on this, but I guess the church came a little bit after other people in terms of alcoholism and embracing alcoholics rather than stigmatizing them. And do you think maybe we're on the verge of doing that now with mental illness? I hope so. And I think if we are, it's really on account of just regular everyday Catholics who have tried to share their own story to break the stigma a bit. I know that's what's empowered me and given me confidence or as other Catholics that uh, I've encountered along the way, whether ministerially or otherwise, who said, you know what, I am going to be a little more open about this precisely because there do seem to still be Catholics who are afraid to say that I'm mentally ill and that I, and above and beyond that, like I even require medication for that and the stigma that 
I think you, you can still encounter in some place because I, something I'd really like to, to understand that whether you're sick or well, that God's love is, uh, is steady and so is your dignity and goodness. And, uh, so I think there is just, there's, there's more work to be done there, but I think you're right. I think we're starting to, to catch up a little bit and understand that these things like don't have to be, uh, so separated. We're spiritual beings and we're physical beings. And there's, there's a, an intimate connection between the two and, uh, God is interested in, and loves both. And you see a society turning away from all well, the younger, the next generation turning away from anything spiritual. And you wonder, are they not going to fall into that rat race of that whole false image concept all chasing because they think they can do it all. Uh, they're young, they're, uh, invincible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where more of us who struggle need to be a little more open about it so that it almost kind of helps people feel the permission to be that way. Cause I think otherwise it's just hard to break out of the culture or out of your group that is all thinking this way uh, about grind culture, about succeeding, about, uh, as they used to say, let's get that bread. That's a, a former expression of let's get that money, you know, let's chase it. It's hard to, to be the one, if, if that's your friend group, it's hard to be the one that's, uh, trying to pursue <laughs> something <laughs> else. You know, I think that's hard. So it kind of takes one person at a time to sort of bravely step forward. I think once you put that. Uh, part of your persona out there, that vulnerability, you will, because you're right. There's not a lot of that deep communication, that intimate communication coming on. It's, we hide behind the words. We hide behind, hide behind the scriptural passage. And I know from my own experiences, when, when you do expose a, a vulnerability, it does, people see it as real. Yeah, abs no, absolutely. When I started doing hospital ministry, especially when I was in clinical pastoral education and uh, a couple other programs like that, I realized there was kind of a two, ch two choices here. I could kind of go down the road of putting up like, like a pastoral facade, you might call yeah. it, where you walk into the room and it's like, I'm the holy man and I, I'm here to impart uh, my gifts of wisdom and understanding unto you and to give you these, these gifts of whatever. And uh, so I could kind of go that route. And in a sense, it is easier because you can separate all the messiness that is yourself that is your own pain and darkness and sin and struggle and, and all that stuff. But I know for me, being on the other end of that kind of ministry, like that's never served me well. I've never been loved well by it. And I've never met Christ through it in the way that I have through ministers that have been honest and authentic and vulnerable with me. Do you have a way of approaching people who, uh, who want to get out of the church, who Mm -hmm. who, for whatever reasons they have, uh, tell you they're about to leave. Or the, the same is true. I don't know if it's the same pitch that you might have, and pitch really cheapens the whole thing, to people who might be seeking to come into the church. In other words, how do we bring them in and how do we keep them from leaving? Do you have any thoughts on that? I will say it, it does seem like Paulus maybe encounter. Uh, a larger percentage of those folks and maybe other groups, for whatever reason, other people trust us or understand that. I think it's approachability, uh, but anyway. Maybe, yeah. I don't know that I've found like the right things to say necessarily. I've more so found what I don't want to say or do. Maybe part of that is, is, is listening to them and what they've heard from people that kind of really doesn't work and may even be insulting. You know, I, I think 
because a, a go-to that you'll see on social media, you know, somebody on Twitter like posts, I think I've had it with the church. This is the last scandal that I can handle. And then somebody inevitably will reply, to whom else shall we go? You know, they'll reply from yeah. uh, Peter there, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Very nice sentiment. Very nice sentiment. As in, there's nowhere else to go but the Catholic Church. But it's like you're saying that to someone who has been actively hurt and alienated and disenfranchised, and you think that's going to work. And I, I I just don't think that really ministers to them in that moment. And so, if anything, I think what I've just tried to do is maintain relationship as much as is possible. I tend to think that that's also the key for the other question of people who are coming in. You really have to kind of throw yourself on the trust of the Holy Spirit that and this was big for our founder of the Paulist Fathers, Father Isaac Hecker, the same spirit that dwells in the church dwells in each and every person. Well, you have to have uh, an awareness that it's not all on my shoulders. The Holy Spirit is going to stay with that person. We just trust that the Lord will continue to work in their life. It seems to me sometimes also it's effective. I've learned when people <laughs> come to me and they tell me all the things that are wrong with the church, and then yeah. I, I agree with them. Yeah, and they're taking it back. Rather know. shocking. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. So it's that relationship you mentioned: relationship, uh, developing it, maintaining yeah. it, keeping it, and not cutting it off. Uh, I think I think that's so important. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a big deal. You know, and, and likewise, I think for people who are coming into the church or exploring or who are curious, I I try to be as much of a friend as possible. You know, a friend in the Lord to sort of walk with them and explore the beauties and richness of our faith. You just have to uh, have an encounter with people who are suffering and in need to, to really, as if you will, get your faith going, because that's where Christ is, you know? And so I was really grateful that even in the polis where my perception was, okay, this is a group that does like evangelization programs and they seem kind of neat and flashy. They got the guy, Father Dave Dwyer, he's got a radio show and that's really cool. And there's all these elements that people think of when they think evangelization. And yet when I joined the novitiate, you know, the first thing, Father Rich Colgan, who became my novice director, the first thing he asked us to do was to go serve at a, a home that was for lower income seniors, like people that may otherwise not be able to afford to be, you know, in a, in a home and care for. Them. And we went over and we would visit, you know, with them and, and try to understand their lives. And, and at first you might be confused, you know, you're thinking like, well, I joined this for evangelization, but it's the truth is you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand what Christ is about or what it is that you're trying to share without meeting Christ and the poor and, and, and the sick and uh, in those most in need. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, that uh, one of the things they say about Catholic social teaching is that it's the, uh, uh, the biggest secret that we have and uh, so much confusion and it's pretty much laid dormant for so long. But so, uh, that teaching has fallen victim to a lot of uh, uh, just the higher intellectual uh, theology <laughs> that comes out of our pulpits a lot of times. You're right. And it's beautiful stuff. It's just, uh, you're right. How do we teach it and share it and appropriate it? And I think in communities it often, it can involve a a sort of cultural shift about how we think and you have to uh, maybe be willing to be vulnerable enough to be willing to change the way things have always been, yeah. you know, because that's often the reason communities don't change eh? and any organization 
as this is the way that we've done it and there doesn't seem to be a problem. But it's like, you don't, you're, you maybe aren't hearing the problem because the people who aren't there aren't, I mean, aren't there to exactly. speak, you know, and I think that's, that's true for a lot of folks in a lot of communities. You know, I know if, if you were, say, if you were uh, a young LGBTQ Catholic and you knew that there was no precedent of LGBTQ cantor or elector or someone in observable ministry, if you knew there'd never been a homily preached that affirmed and loved you, if there was no semblance of any of that, then you don't have the safety to enter into that community and feel like you're going to be held and cared for. And then on the contrary, if you do think to do those things, then the chances are better of, of entering into that community and finding people who can be in solidarity with you. So it takes like some thought to think about what does our parish look like? What do people see when they come into our community? What's their impression when they open up the bulletin and they see what organizations are there? You know, because I think I, I think those smaller things matter and they point to what the community cares about, and whether we are or are not uh, picking up our Lord's mission to uh, be in solidarity with each other, to care for each other and serve each other. You uh, see, my yeah. question was precisely to that point. It seems to me the problem is one of commitment mm-hmm. and long term. It's uh, whatever the the institutional problems might be. Or the other thing is that, that I keep running into is, is the sense of perfectionism, which mm-hmm. you know, I taught high school for many years. So I understand if they're high school kids, you know, they, they, you, you fall into that, just finding out everything's not perfect. And, you know, it's a scandal for all of us. I understand that. But you get into, you know, 45-year-old people when you're talking to them, and it's like, what, what do you got that's perfect? I mean, you haven't you know, I mean, there's nothing perfect on this planet. It doesn't matter what you, sure. know, what you do, but it's, there's an insistence on if it's not perfect, it doesn't get my commitment. And so therefore there is no buy-in on a long term. There is a yes, a one-off, I'll show up. But there's, there doesn't, there seems to be, and again, across the board, mm-hmm. just a lack of, uh, you know, of buy-in to commit to, to any cause, anything over, over a long term. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know what we can do about it. I mean, we suffer from it too as a church, but it's, you know, it's marriage. It's why get married? You know, why, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's like any commitment. No, sure. And I think there's probably a degree to which some of these problems are distinctly Western by virtue or quote unquote, first world problems in, a, in as much as we may have a lot more options and the proliferation of options sometimes makes it harder to to commit to these things. But I, I, I do find that with anybody, I think anybody who's worked in vocations work would say the same thing. It's hard to find someone willing to necessarily jump into that with only a minimal amount of data, even though that's what people used to do. And no, I don't, I don't know beyond that other than being accustomed to having options open in a way that may be relatively unprecedented. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the answer. Yeah. I don't well, Father Stu, what would you like to talk about to wrap us up, take us home? Well, I would talk, maybe <laughs> just for a second, I guess, I, I don't know that, I wish the Paulus Fathers were better known. I don't, you know, we're not up, we're not up to the tier of your, your Jesuits and your Franciscans or whatnot. And, and on one level, I'm cool with that because I like that we're a small and specialized group and, and always have been. But I sometimes think, and this is, is something I, I think appropriate among us uh, who are, you know, obviously interested in the Paulus charism. I would just say, you know, sometimes people are suspicious of what they perceive. Like if you just review the stuff I've talked about, 
right, in this conversation, in this podcast, someone could listen to this and say, okay, I get it. Those policies are liberal. And whether that gets you on board or written off or you write us up, it's like, I, it just sometimes I feel like that happens. And I think what I'm interested in as I continue to live into my Paulist vocation is to understand that our concerns and the things that my heart is really with and for comes from the center of the church. When I talk about God's love for gay people, for trans people, when I talk about God's love for people who are mentally ill, who are depressed, who are anxious, who don't feel like they're as good as other people, I don't want to be seen as, as like some kind of rebel, if that makes sense, because I'm not. And that, that shouldn't be the position. And I don't want it to be seen as liberal. I want it to be understood that those things are the service that the polis are trying to offer the church. And it comes from the center and the heart of Christ. And I think the better we can understand it that way, hopefully the less resistance we can have among people who just kind of write us off and say, that's the liberal group, whatever. You know, like for myself, I like good liturgy. It doesn't mean I want to suddenly, you know, start changing everything about that. Like I love, I'm in this because I love the faith. I, I, I just think that these emphases and the call to serve the marginalized and, and those most peripheral is, is, is coming from the heart of the church and not some rebel stance. So anyway, I just mentioned that because it's a constant thought in my head and something I'm aware of. Well, it, it well that, you're a musician. Make, we, you know? we should just uh, at least talk a little bit about that. Now, you have recorded two or three albums. or So I have two. One that's under my own name, Stuart Wilson Smith. Another that's under my band name, SWSO. And so I have the one album, Stuart Wilson Smith, and then there's just a number of singles uh, that are at the Stuart Wilson, Stuart WS at uh, bandcamp.com. Or you can just look me up on Google and you'll see all the channels that it's on. Right. uh, uh, Because it's Spotify, iTunes, all the rest. And uh, and some of them are like the album is called It's Not Just You, It's Everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of that is my reflection. I I downloaded it, I don't know, a couple of years ago when you put that out. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Dick. Yeah, just a couple of years ago. And that's a lot of that is my reflections on living with mental illness and being a person of faith and what that's like. Uh, and so that's uh, and there's a lot of reference to the to the place I grew up in the Maritimes of Canada as well. But more recent singles have been a little harder. I've, I've brought distortion back into my life on the guitar and uh, <laughs> uh, decided this I had a little more energy in me to to rock out. And so, uh, yeah, got into that. I noticed when the Paulist band gets together at Christmas time, I, normally I think you play the drums. Yes, we are called the Isaac Tones, uh, after, named after Isaac Hecker. And uh, I do play the drums. And then usually our faithful president, Father Eric Andrews, is the crooner. He will croon. He is the singer. And uh, we've had Ricky Manalo, mm-hmm. Father Ricky Manalo right. on the piano, Matthew Berrios on guitar. And, uh, and yeah, I, I usually play drums. We do some jazz standards for the various Paulus streaming spectaculars. And sometimes... That's what I call... Yeah. Sometimes the Father Eric special. will even wear a uh, smoking jacket while singing. You know, he has been known to do that. <laughs> yeah, for the, list, for the listeners that don't know, if you... Uh, uh, you got to watch a Paulus streaming special. It will just completely rearrange the furniture of your mind about priests. Mm. I mean, you know, you talk about you're not up to the Jesuits and the Franciscans. They're a bunch of stuffed shirts. You don't see their superior general 
in a smoking jacket crooning Sinatra with yeah. all these guys that are doing various ministries in the church and they're playing musical instruments. It's just in, in the sanctuary of the church, you know, it's just, and that's just one, one aspect. I mean, uh, the ability to make fun of themselves, to be vulnerable doing it, to have a good time to raise money for a good cause, of course, but yeah. still, I, I can't think of too many the poets. Groups that would so many do poets that. among them. And it's just, hmm? there's so many that's poets, a good point. so many poets. Father Frank, Desiderio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. And I, I actually, I think that's one thing that got me into the polis was not just the charisms and the high level stuff, but individual polis themselves. And I like that you can kind of uh, bring your whole self to this group. Yep. It's a very down to earth group of fellas who uh, don't, hopefully don't take their life in ministry overly seriously to the point where you, you think it's all on you. Because again, we're just... Uh, uh, we're working for the Holy Spirit here, and uh, and that's the bottom line. So it's nice to have that level levity. I must admit, in the group, you know, and not feel like you need to be stiff and have the starchy collar all the time. There's a there's yeah. a little bit of anti-clericalism, if I can say it. I don't want to. I don't know if I should. If that's an overstatement, but that's what I see. That's an overstatement. <laughs> <laughs> it's Father, a little bit of humanness. I think it just throws you. It's like. Oh, what? You're you're not just an empty suit who's uh, a functionary? You're There's an actual person in there? How did that happen? Father Stu, this has been marvelous. Oh, the pleasure has been mine. Thank you so much, Deacons, for having Indeed. me. Indeed. Really yes, we it. enjoyed it. Yes. Yes, you've Very enlightened, enlightened us. Enlightened Good luck with the green card. <laughs> yes. Get you back to work. You know how that goes. You're having too much fun. <laughs> I know you can tell, eh? <laughs> hey, Thanks, Brad. Well, thank you, guys. All right. Nice well, to thank you for you. doing yes. it. Okay. For sure. My pleasure. Of course. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Stu. My pleasure. All right. He came across as very genuine, um, uh, approachable, um, very... Uh, very humble in his recognition of his own mental condition and his struggles. And yeah, that uh, was amazing. Yep. That yep. He, um, I mean, how many people will, I mean, again, talk about not being a phony to come right out and say, you know, yeah, I've struggled with this. It's like, wow. And he, he's a young guy. I mean, it's yeah. not like this is wisdom and age. And, you know, I've been, I finally decided to reveal this to people. I mean, he, you know, God bless him. That was, that was That's very the vulnerability. Uh, you expose yeah. that uh, that inner self that um, I think that's one of the criticisms that I hear about uh, priests being distant, uh, mm -hmm. clergy being distant, that mm -hmm. uh, they're not approachable because they seem to live in their own world that uh, is uh, protected from these kind of things. And boy, that's certainly not the case. You know that. We, we've all been exposed to many, many of the clergy, and, and that's so far from the truth. No, I, you know, Father Stu, if every parish in the United States and Canada, we should say, because he's Canadian, right. had a priest like Father Stu, I think we'd have a lot less problems. We'd have a parking lot problem is what we'd have. Yeah. Fitting them <laughs> yeah. all in there. That's what we'd have. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's very uh, thoughtful. And, uh, of course, he's talented. He's got music and stuff. And, uh, you know, I thought he was kind of whimsical, too. I mean, I think there's a, there's a real deepness there. Uh, very you're right you're right dennis he has such such a um 
tremendous capacity for understanding, and yet he can make the most lighthearted joke immediately right. in the middle of his right. capacity for understanding. Yeah. I listened yeah, so. to some of the SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud homilies that he did. Very, very deep, very, uh, but relevant. Um, uh, again, he breaks open the word quite, quite nicely and um, uh, gives, a, gives a, a good takeaway from his homilies. We've got to have him back soon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S with an S, Deacons, plural, pod, all one word, dot com. And, of course, we'd love to hear your comments at our email address, which is deaconspod, again, with an S, deacons, at paulist.org. That's P-A-U-L-I-S-T dot org. Love to hear from you. That's our offering. We thank you for being with us. On behalf of our colleagues at the Missionary Society of St. Paul the Apostle, we wish you a future brighter than any past. Till next time.